Blog Talk Radio. From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us today. We'll be having our guests join us very shortly. You may have noticed a little bit of dead air time as we had some technical problems getting the whole show started. But anyway, we are back on and we'll be focusing on another aspect of the age-old dilemma. Would you prefer to outlive your money or have your money outlive you? Last month we focused on annuities which are designed to expire when you do unless you have a rider to continue payments until your spouse's death, if they outlive you. Now, it may seem like you have plenty of time to deal with this age-old question, although at the end of this week, two months of 2014 will be over, even though it seems like we just toasted in this new year a few weeks ago. Time flies, and yet we think we have plenty of time to deal with these long-term topics. The expression I like best for this financial planning procrastination is the Spanish word, mañana. Our topic today is U.S. Social Security, and there are so many aspects and considerations that I'll keep my introductory and summary comments very short. We specifically titled this show U.S. Social Security since virtually every country has some national pensions plan. You know right up front that we won't be trying to cover each of them or even contrast them to the U.S. system for those other countries. We will be focusing on the system in the U.S., which actually affects many of our listeners overseas, as well as those living in the U.S. Each country has its own nuances in their rules and regulations, although there are very many common components. So even if you are entitled to receive benefits from the National Pension Plan in another country, you'll know a lot of the questions and topics to answer based on today's show. And Pete, I don't know if you notice we're getting some static coming in. I don't know if it's from the other line. Uh, if we could take a survey of our listeners about how they would describe the U.S. Social Security system, I know we would get at least eight descriptions, some factual, some positive, some negative. Let me just share a few of the descriptions I hear from people. An entitlement program. Another is annuity rider with a survivor, spouse, and children benefit. A defined benefit pension. Another is a defined pension, uh, sorry, a defined contribution pension. Another one I like to hear, uh, hear often is a slush fund for funding the government spending or the largest Ponzi scheme in existence. A trust fund about to go bankrupt. And finally, a good idea ruined by having the U.S. government run it. Last year I attended a seminar on Social Security set up and sponsored by Thrivent. When I left, I realized Brian Ginter, the presenter, knew a lot more about the details of Social Security than I did. So I learned a number of useful tips. I also realized how little of the majority of the people in the audience knew about Social Security. 
even though that audience was primarily baby boomers, and that we needed to cover this topic on a future show. Today is that day, and what better person to cover it than that presenter, Brian Ginter. Due to the seminar's time limitation of two or three hours, he said right up front that we wouldn't be able to cover individual situations and detailed questions during the seminar, and yet the majority of people wanted to discuss their personal situation as Brian dug in to the decision nuances. We will have a chat window open for uh, your questions or comments, so uh, feel free to send them through there. We won't try to take online guests just because of the time limitation. And uh, we all won't be able to obviously deal with things that are general in nature or a clarification of the um, topics we're, we're trying to cover today. We won't be able to cover your individual situation. Before we bring on our guests, let's put this topic into context. The Social Security benefits you'll receive should be factored in as part of the base of your investment pyramid. Or if you prefer to use buckets, they would be part of the cash bucket. So if that... Uh, cash portion of your investments provide 60% of your expenses during retirement, you only need enough cash in that level of your pyramid to cover 40% of expenses, and the rest can be invested. Whether you're on the West Coast enjoying a cup of coffee while you're listening, or in Europe wrapping up your work day, or even sipping a glass of wine, or you're listening to the archive, I'm confident you'll be glad you joined us. I suspect the only complaint I'll hear is that we didn't have enough time to cover all of the aspects that would help you decide when to file for benefits and when your spouse should apply. But I can assure you, this will not be the last show on Social Security. There are many more aspects to cover, and we would be remiss if we ignored those other aspects. We do have the chat window open. Okay, good. Just checking that. Uh, so count on the fact that we'll have another show and maybe we'll even have you send in facts about your situation and have our guests provide guidance based on the facts you prefer. Re-prepare. Excuse me. Today is February 24th, 2014. It's 9.09 in uh, Arizona. We're obviously a little bit behind schedule here. 11.09 a.m. on the East Coast and 17.09 in continental Europe. It's the only day I ever like it, so we'll do everything possible to make it a good one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. Uh, this show airs every second and fourth Monday, 9 a.m. in Arizona. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss a show, you can find it on the archives. Just go to www.wealthdna.com. US, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Our sponsor today is BI Solutions Corp. We thank them for the sponsorship, and we welcome your comments and questions during the show. Now, given the aspects we will cover again, I'll recommend using the chat window below the radio player. The U.S. equity markets, after flirting with new highs recently, are off to a positive start and a record high. Asia was down overnight. Europe is up slightly, and Brazil is also up. Incidentally, on the next show, we'll be celebrating the fifth anniversary of the equity bull market with Russ Wiles of the Arizona Republic. Be sure to join us for that show. Now, our special guest today to cover U.S. Social Security is Brian Ginter, a financial consultant with Thrivent. He's had advanced education and licensing. He provides comprehensive, customized financial guidance. He's presented uh, educational workshops like the one I attended, nationally, not just in the Phoenix and Scottsdale area. Now, last year alone, he presented over 30 workshops 
at a number of different venues in the Phoenix Scottsdale area. He specializes in advanced social security claiming strategies, some of which we'll talk about, preparing for or living in retirement, and developing tax advantage investment strategy. Let's give Brian Ginter a warm radio welcome. Brian, I'm glad you could join us today despite our technical difficulties. Well, thank you, Ron. Glad to be here. Now, I gave a brief overview of your background. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? Ron, you did a pretty good job, but uh, generally what I, I let people know is uh, myself and my team, we specialize in helping baby boomers uh, prepare for and live in retirement. With all of the uncertainties in today's financial markets, uh, record low interest rates, etc., cetera, uh, understanding how to fit together all of these different pieces of the puzzle uh, is really what we help baby boomers do. So that, as you mentioned earlier in, in the telecast, uh, so that folks are living beyond uh, their income stream, not uh, not passing away prior to its ending. Okay. Now, I described a number of different perceptions of the U.S. Social Security system. Help us decide which of those it is. You know, um, it really is a defined benefit pension, as well as an annuity with a rider for spousal uh, survivor, uh, survivor mm-hmm. pension. Excuse me. Yes. It, it, it is a, it's a very misunderstood program, and that's mm-hmm. why so many people are uh, anxious for information about how to claim Social Security, whether it's going to be there for them, you know, what are their next steps as they approach uh, retirement. Okay. Before we forget, what's the best way to reach you to get information about upcoming seminars or services offered by uh, Thrivent and your team? Yep, the best uh, way to get in touch with, with us is via email, at, mm-hmm. uh, which is Dell, excuse me, it's DRG, so Dell Rio Group, mm-hmm. or just DRG, DRG. at, mm-hmm. at Thrivent.com. Okay, all right, good. And that's usually where I contact uh, Eric to be able to uh, get a hold of things, so he's always been very, very helpful. And I'm sure the other folks on the team, but he happens to know me. So, uh, Now, incidentally, I need to add, when I attended uh, that seminar last year, I thought it was about the most valuable hours I'd invested in financial education in a long time. So many thanks for uh, having me attend that. My pleasure. Glad you were there, Ron. And uh, I sure am, too, that's for sure. Now, Thrivent was set up as a financial arm of the Lutheran Church, and it offers a range of financial products, including financing for churches. Now, I've known about Thrivent for about 35 years, but I never asked if Thrivent only works with Lutherans, or can other clients also take advantage of your services? Uh, just a real quick update on Thrivent. Mm-hmm. Um, it, has been, uh, it has been around since uh, the early 1900s, and uh, mm-hmm. just recently, our membership, uh, so Thrivent is a not-for-profit financial services firm, uh, number 325 on the Fortune 500. Uh, oh. But because we're, we're not a Wall Street company, we are a member-owned organization. Our members just voted to expand our common bond from Lutheranism to Christianity. So okay. uh, we do say we, we serve Christians, uh, but mm-hmm. we do also offer products and services to those that are non-Christian as well. Okay, and because it's not a Wall Street firm, I think it's less known by a lot of you know people, unless they're somehow affiliated with some of the Christian uh, faiths. But uh, you know, from from what I can see, you guys do a great job. So uh, I'm, I'm giving you a non um, uh, non paid plug there. 
Thank you. The uh, big question I'd like to start with, and the question that I think most people want to know, is Social Security going to be there for me in 10, 15, or, 50, or uh, even 50 years, which I hope to live, given the current projections that the trust fund will be depleted by 2033? Sure, Ron. That's a, that's a pretty common question, and uh, it's probably one of the most uh, – you know, the biggest question that a lot of baby boomers have, because when we meet people – their first inclination is to say, I need to start claiming Social Security early before the money is gone. And so Mm -hmm. really what we like to help people understand is what is the history of Social Security? You know, how did it start and what really is it? And so I always like to remind people that, um, you know, back in in the early 30s when Social Security was started under FDR, uh, it it was designed to be a pay-as-you-go program meaning we simply collected enough FICA tax or payroll tax to pay those people who are receiving benefits. And it really is still truly that today, Ron. It, it, is, a, it is a system where we have enough American workers. Now, the, the number of American workers back in the early 30s was about 16 to every one retiree, and moving mm-hmm. into the baby boom generation, it's only about two workers per every Social Security recipient. And so that is what, uh, that, is, that has been mainly the concern. And so when we, we answer that question, is it going to be there for me, say, 50 years in advance, the first question or the first answer I generally give is, as long as there are enough workers in America or people working in America, we should be collecting a fairly significant amount of the benefit that is due to those recipients. That's an important piece to remember. Okay. Mm-hmm. Also, um, many people don't really understand when the Social Security Trust Fund was started or really when we started to accumulate assets in that trust fund. And so um, it's, it's important for people to understand that uh, back in – really the late 70s under President Carter, he had named uh, Alan Greenspan the, it, it, the, the chairman of a special committee on Social Security. And, and what Chairman Greenspan, actually before he was the chairman, excuse me, uh, what, what Alan Greenspan found was that obviously we have a generational issue in this country, and that is the, the, the baby boom generation are, are going to be, of course, transitioning or have already transitioned from workers to retirees. And so back in uh, the late 70s, the proposal was that we would gradually stage in some tax increases to begin collecting excess assets for the sole purpose of paying baby boomers their, their scheduled benefit. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was really in, ni- in early, uh, I believe, 1981, uh, or 1982, excuse me, under President Reagan, where he, he, he ended the phase-in program and just immediately increased those FICA tax. And really since the early 80s, Ron, we have been uh, collecting excess assets, which of course have, uh, have created what, what people now know as the Social Security Trust Fund. Okay, so that's a fairly reason. It wasn't set up originally that way. We've kind of built it up. Uh, but Correct. now, of course, because of this demographic uh, shift toward more retirees, it has some risk. 
What, now, he was successful in dramatically uh, extending that depletion date, or, or if you will, uh, having it not just go you know, pay as you go and, and just have a little bit of fun by, by making some changes, like you said, uh, including uh, changing the retirement age a little bit. Uh, what solutions are out there and which ones are politically palatable uh, that could you know, keep this trust fund in place and not have it depleted uh, in, in uh, you know, 20 years, 30 years? That's, that's a great question. I'm going to answer that with a couple of real simple uh, reform proposals that are currently being uh, thrown around out there. But, but before I do okay. that, I just want to let the audience know that the actual, the, the OASDI trustees report, uh, mm-hmm. which actually comes out in May, uh, I, I have the results from last year. And it's, right. it still shocks everybody to understand that the trust fund is actually still growing meaning um, the Social Security Trust Fund had a net asset or had net assets of $2.732 trillion uh, at the beginning of the year last year mm-hmm. okay. and finished the year at $2.64 trillion, so a net increase of $32 billion uh, last year. And so this is really the issue is we are now at the inflection point where um, – you know, the, the increase to the trust fund is going to, to probably end this year. Uh, it'll either be this year or next because, of course, that wave of baby boomers, uh, instead of paying those FICA taxes, will now be receiving or potentially receiving some of these benefits. And so we have to look at uh, – oh, the thing I wanted to mention was people, sure. people need to realize, Ron, that if no reforms are done – that exactly 20 years from today, that trust fund will be exhausted. But just because, again, the trust fund is exhausted doesn't mean there will be no Social Security. There will simply be only enough American workers paying those FICA taxes to cover about 77% of workers' scheduled benefits. And I like to explain to people, just imagine the scenario where if tomorrow we woke up and all of the Social Security recipients in this country uh, immediately got a 23% pay cut. Mm-hmm. It just really would not be a scenario that anyone would want to be part of, which means okay. I think our, our elected officials are going to do something long before that day, 20 years in the future. What so are some of those proposals, though? You mentioned you, there yep, are some, some proposals. So, so why, don't you, why don't you share those with us? But I think that's very, very enlightening. Yep, the, the two that I really like to, uh, like to discuss, uh, the first being something known as the earnings cap. So currently in this country, um, there is something called the Social Security's earning, earnings cap. And so mm-hmm. last year, the earnings cap was set at 113700 back in 2013. And what that meant is if I had earned income or, uh, you know, non-pension, so this would be earned income either through a W-2 or 1099 in excess of $113,700, mm-hmm. I stopped paying those FICA taxes, not only my share, but my employer also stopped paying into the system. And so one of the current proposals is to simply eliminate that earnings cap. And so if you're a wage earner and you make $500,000 today, what that would mean is as you stop paying Social Security taxes after 113.7, you would start paying uh, Social Security taxes on all $500,000 of earned income, and so would your employer. 
and Ron simply eliminating the earnings cap, which, of course, I am not necessarily in favor of, but just like to use this as an example because it's quite, quite simple to understand. If we sure. eliminated that cap, that would fill in 116% of our Social Security shortfall alone. Hmm. So that would solve the problem. And we would have a 16% surplus. Which I don't think what are some other easy ones? Yeah, what yep, are some yep. other easy ones to understand? Because again, because of the limited time, we can't cover every possibility. But I think it starts to give us an idea, as as, as your seminar did, uh, that it may not be as difficult as everybody makes it sound. Well, the other one that um, I, I really like to talk about is understanding the normal retirement age. So for most baby boomers, it's 66. Now there mm-hmm. are some baby boomers probably listening who are a little bit younger in that generation, and they may be 66 in a few months, two, four, six, eight, et cetera. Yep. Uh, my, Social Security, my full retirement age, Ron, is 67. I'm 36 years old. Uh, okay. A baby born today, I, I like to ask the question, a baby born today, any ideas what their full retirement age? And the vast majority of people who I ask that question to say, I don't know, 70? And the reason they say that is because logically, you know, people are living longer mm-hmm. and they would full retirement age would be a little bit later. But the realities are that a baby born today in this country's full retirement age through Social Security is still 67. And so one of the current proposals is to simply say babies born two years from today, their full mm-hmm. retirement age is going to be 67 and one month. And then two years uh, the baby, the baby's born two years later, 67 in two months, and so on and so forth until we would reach a full retirement age of 70. Mm-hmm. And simply extending the, the full retirement age for babies born today would, would solve 83% of the scheduled shortfall. And so wow. the reason I like to share these two, uh, these two proposals is because, number one, they're very simple to understand. Number mm-hmm. two... It doesn't need to be one or the other. The world in which I live, um, you know, generally is one filled with compromise. And so, you know, one of the roadblocks to our political system today is the lack of compromise. And so these two, these two, the combination of these two proposals alone, if we just simply maybe not eliminate the earnings cap, but but maybe set that earnings cap slightly higher, uh, instead of maybe extending, uh, the full retirement age uh, every two years, maybe something like every five years. But the combination, Ron, of those two things would effectively solve the Social Security problem in this country. Yeah, and the other thing you pointed out is back when Social Security was put together, the average lifespan was like 63. It was, it was 65 and under, let's put it that way, and, and the retirement age was 65. And, and today we're expected to live somewhere to, to about the age of 80. So this whole idea of, of uh, having some sort of indexation or at least a periodic update uh, to it makes a lot of sense. And quite frankly, the fact that I have to retire at 66 plus uh, is no big deal to me versus, uh, you know, my expectation maybe when I was born that it would be at 65. So uh, even somebody in their 20s probably expects to work well beyond that age or isn't, you know, is going to plan. So I, that to me, it sounds very logical. Well, I, I couldn't agree more that, uh, you know, we're, we're not talking about changing benefits for those on the doorstep of receiving them. All of the, all of the, all of the changes or a lot of the changes as it, as it uh, relates to when I get to claim my benefit uh, simply has to do with those that are under the age of 26. 
And so, you know, there are other there are other proposals out there, i.e., means testing or changing uh, future benefits by a couple percentage points, et cetera. Um, all those things, Ron, in, in my opinion, we all have more than enough time to, pre- to prepare for it. Okay, so but we again, stop that's, panicking. That's panicking, just my exactly. opinion, and of course, mm-hmm. I'm not an elected official, so I can't make that change. Well, <laughs> it sounds like if we had you in, in, in Congress, we might get there a lot faster, because people would start to understand this stuff. Uh, let me well, remind think, our listeners. Let well, me just remind know, our listeners uh, yep. for one second. They're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I am your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. If you've missed some of the prior shows, if you want to re-listen to them, we'll maintain an archive on www.wealthdna.us where you can go back and re-listen to this show. And we did start a little bit late, so we are we are a bit behind schedule. But all of the past shows, annuities and uh, forecasts for this year, all of those are on there. And if you want to get an email reminder of the shows, just send me an email, ron at WealthDNA.us will keep you posted about future shows and events. During the uh, radio show, we uh, welcome you, our listeners, to go ahead and send us a chat in the chat window below the radio player. We will not try to take live calls due to the amount of topics. Our topic today is U.S. Social Security. Our special guest is Brian Ginter, a financial consultant with Thrivent, and we're just in the process of talking about some of the solutions to keep the trust fund from depleting. Okay, back to you, Brian. Sorry, I cut you off there a little bit, but we were just talking about some of the uh, means testing and other alternatives that uh, could could save the system. Well, I just wanted to conclude the topic, Ron, which is stating that the vast majority of people uh, with whom we talk to are, are comfortable with compromise. And everybody understands that some degree of compromise has to happen. And so really I look at it as our duty uh, to share that with our with our elected officials, that that really on this topic, um, we need to you know we need to accept some responsibility, contact our elected officials, and let them know we're ready for compromise on this topic. Okay, all right, and obviously the most popular one and the majority of people is going to be raise the cap because they don't understand that the uh, amount of income that somebody gets from Social Security is also capped. Uh, regardless of how much you put in. So um, I guess that, that'll be something we talk about here in a little bit. But the next big question I hear is, given my work history, how much benefit will I get? And a number of years ago, I used to get this periodic statement in the mail. Um, how do I check on that? How do I know how much I, I would get if I retired uh, at my various retirement ages? Well, step one today is... Um, the, a few years back, Congress passed something called the Paperwork Reduction Act, and so theoretically, uh, it's, it, it is what stopped um, you get from receiving that green or little uh, Social Security statement every year in the mail. And so today, what, a lot of people haven't received one uh, in some time, and so step one is to go to socialsecurity.gov or ssa.gov, both of those uh, two web addresses get you to the Social Security homepage. Um, on that homepage, you'll click on something called My Retirement Benefits, and you will just simply have to log in or create a username, and you'll be able to download your most recent statement. Cool. Okay. So that's my yes, step one. Cool. I'm going to log Very on because I've never actually done that. I'm sorry, Ron? I'm saying that's I will do that step one because I haven't actually never done that. What do I do next? So um, obviously on that Social Security statement, they're going to give you uh, three numbers. 
Uh, and, and we're just, for the sake of this uh, call today, we're going to assume that everybody out there is a baby boomer with a full retirement age of 66. But really what Social Security does is they're going to show you on page two uh, your benefits at age 62, your benefits at full retirement age, or uh, what is affect, uh, affectionately known as your PIA or primary insurance amount, uh, which would be your full retirement age benefit. And then they also give you a number uh, at the maximum date uh, for which you can delay, which is your age 70 benefit. And so how these benefits are calculated, Ron, uh, re- at, at the age of 62, and I always uh, mention that in my workshops uh, as an important, uh, an important number, what Social Security does is they take your earnings at 62, and they index them for inflation, and they count your highest 35 years of earnings. Okay. And then what they do is they apply their special calculation called averaged indexed monthly earnings. Uh, they divide those by your three bend points, which is, of course, beyond the scope of this uh, call. Sure. That is how they determine what you'll receive at full retirement. Okay, but it sounds like they're actually factoring in the fact that uh, that when I earned uh, some of my salary in, in, in the uh, 70s would be a different value than uh, that same salary today, so that they are somehow indexing it from what, you're, what you just said. That is correct, yes. Yeah, the, the key piece is uh, that, that we want people, the, call, the people listening out there to understand is that it's your highest 35 years of earnings. So when you log into Social Security and you get to that page three and you look at the right side, the, uh, the listing of all, your, of all your earnings, we want to make sure that, um, you know, to maximize your benefit that you have 35 years of earnings. That would be, number, mm-hmm. that would be the first thing. The second is, of course, all of the, of the earnings are somewhat relative. So the earnings cap was much lower back in the 1970s. So it, these are all added together and indexed. But, but, but really the one thing that uh, I really want people to know also is that after the age of 62, so if you, Ron, were retiring at the age of 62, mm-hmm. if you didn't claim your benefit right away, you are not hurting your calculation. You can only improve okay. your Social Security record after the age of 62. You cannot hurt it. Okay, so when I file, does make a difference. In other words, I'll get more the longer I wait to file. Of course. So, so the the thing that people want to uh, understand is that uh, claiming early versus claiming at full retirement versus claiming later has some very impactful uh, differences. So, for example, um, if I were to claim my Social Security benefit as early as possible. Uh, mm-hmm. I am going to be receiving 75% of my age 66 benefit. Mm-hmm. However, okay. and then that will continue. That will continue regardless correct. of how much you get older. Yep. And so, without getting uh, uh, mixing too many topics at once, it's important mm-hmm. for our listeners to understand that if if you are the high wage earner in your family. Okay. If I claim my Social Security benefit early and I predecease my spouse, that is also the benefit that she will receive for the remainder of her life. Mm, okay. Okay. And then, then we, she has a choice. Of, in many cases, she has a choice of using her own or part of mine uh, if I'm the high wage earner. And uh, then that decision on mine is going to affect her future very dramatically. Correct. Yes, it's not as simple as just simply, uh, 
you know, if, if, if I don't have a, the greatest of life expectancy, but my spouse is younger and uh, in better health, claiming early doesn't always, uh, isn't always the best decision. Okay, but I, I, probably a lot of people look at it, well, I could use the cash today, so why don't I just go ahead and start collecting, because otherwise I'll lose that money, right? Uh, exactly. But what you're really saying is, if I don't collect it now, that money will continue to accumulate, and I'll have a larger amount that I'm drawing, and I would be better off. Yep, because, because if that spouse outlives you by 30 years, um, that inflation-adjusted mm-hmm. benefit that she would receive, um, you know, if, she, if she's taking a 25% or receiving 75%, of my full retirement benefit as opposed to 100% or as high as 132% if I wait till age 70, uh, that can be a pretty significant uh, impact in terms of our monthly income. Okay, there's some good factors right away. So 75% if I, if I do it at my earliest age at 62 uh, and up to 132 if you wait to 70. Now, after 70, it doesn't make sense to wait, as I understand. Correct. There is no advantage of waiting past the age of 70. All right, but you touched on a number of factors. Yeah, you you mentioned things like life expectancy. You mentioned things like uh, which one is earning more. You talked about when I take it and the effect on the spouse and those kinds of things. This starts to get fairly complex on that decision process. Yeah, as soon as you scratch the surface on uh, what age do I take it, um, it it all of a sudden snowballs into a number of, of, of topics that just simply aren't, uh, whether or not you're, you know, I turned 62, so now I should go apply. You know, you really, we really need to be thinking about, as you mentioned, life expectancy. What percentage of my income uh, is protected from inflation? As it stands today, Social mm-hmm. Security uh, currently does have a cost of living adjustment. And right. so it, it, for many people, it's the only inflation protection that they have in their portfolio. Thirdly, hmm. uh, survivor benefits. Uh, whether your your wife was a a, a, a big wage earner or, a, or or didn't earn much at all uh, really influences what what their or your spouse excuse me uh, their what they're going to receive over their lifetime should you predecease them. Right, right. Okay. So fairly, this all has to be kind of blended together. Um, now, I assumed when I when I you know was growing up and started my working career, uh, I assumed Social Security wouldn't exist, so I planned my portfolio to not be dependent on it. On the other hand, I have been paying in somewhere you know thirty five forty years and, and continuing to pay in. So I want to maximize the amount I receive, uh, so I can then you know help my heirs, my clients, my charities, whatever I decide to do with 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 my own funds. Uh, you know, what are some of those factors I can influence? I mean, you, you mentioned getting your Social Security um, uh, benefit statement. Uh, is it possible that on there there could be some uh, wages missing or not reported properly, and even checking that could make a difference? It, it really is important to verify that uh, your earnings record is correct, Ron. Uh, that is something you're going to want to do long before you get to uh, stepping into the office or applying online for Social Security benefits. Mm-hmm. We have had a number of instances where clients have had zeros uh, missing in their earnings record. And so the good news is uh, Social Security doesn't make it that difficult for you to uh, correct those errors. And so without okay. getting into the, uh, the step-by-step instructions, uh, somebody does have a missing uh, earnings uh, year on their record, uh, I would recommend that they give us a call 
because it is actually quite a it's it's not that difficult of of a fix. All right, so I don't have to go through lawyers and, uh, and uh, no, go no. through uh, all sorts of wage statements that burned in the fire at my office and all of that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, if you if you threw away your tax return from 1974, that's okay. <laughs> so theoretically, that's go. Oh, that's a good point. They they should have these records, even though it may be an archive. It may not all be in electronic form at this point. That point, but yep. uh, that's a good point. They should have some like. But but uh, anybody that's nearing retirement age. Uh, that is, you know, can be can be a challenge if they didn't have any. So you can help them also through that. But there is a process to be able to do that. What else can I do to to maximize the fact that I've you know paid it in? What can I do to maximize my benefit? Well, before uh, I, I talk about a couple of the maximization sure. strategies, um, mm-hmm. I do want to let the audience know. Um, a lot of people around the water cooler have said, I have put in so much money to Social Security, and, and I understand, uh, you know, if, if, we, if, if your listeners had control of, of their money and were able to invest it at, as they pleased, uh, mm-hmm. obviously there's an opportunity that we could invest or have more money uh, than what we end up being paid out in benefits. But just to put a little perspective on things, if, right. if tomorrow I signed up for Social Security and I had a monthly benefit of $2,000 from, from Social Security, and okay. if, if, if we end up uh, seeing the average cost of living adjustment, which uh, over the last 20 years has been 2.8% per year, if mm-hmm. I live 10 years into my retirement, I will receive a little over $304,000 from Social Security. Okay. If I live 20 years... Uh, into the future, Ron, I would receive a little over 673000 in benefits. And if I were to live all the way out to 30 years, uh, that's a little over $1.1 million in Social Security benefits. So that's just a $2,000 a month benefit, twenty-four grand a year starting today. 30 years into the future with that COLA adjustment, uh, as high as $1.1 million. So, So we really want people to understand that this benefit isn't just something that uh, – you know, it, it can be maximized, and it really should be maximized. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things uh, that we talk to people about as it pertains to uh, maximization is really understanding, well, when do we apply? I mean, that, those are, that's the first question we have to ask ourselves. So uh, what's our health status or life expectancy? Do I need the income or don't I need the income? Do I plan on working or do I plan on just transitioning directly uh, into retirement. What about my survivor? You know, did they have a similar earnings record, or, or, or were they a higher or a lower wage earner? And then another piece uh, to the puzzle, of course, is taxes. Uh, how am I going to pay, right. be paying taxes on my Social Security benefits? And so, uh, just real quickly, because I, I know the listeners mm-hmm. probably want um, some of the really cool, or what I like to call the advanced uh, claiming strategies. Why don't we just um, Let's let's try to do our best because again it, it's a little hard without some visualization to to sure. wrap our heads around these things, but but let's talk about a couple of the uh, more popular claiming strategies today. Excellent. And and before we do that, Ron, I just want to remind everybody that uh, there are there are two benefits that every single person uh, is entitled to that has a, a Social Security earnings record. 
Now, again, if, you're, uh, if you receive a government pension, there are some other rules, so, but we're not going to get into all that today. Uh, but if, that is your, if you're a civil service employee or if you didn't pay into the Social Security system, some of these things may not necessarily be uh, available to you. But for the, for the vast majority of us, uh, there are a couple things that everybody needs to be aware of. The first is I am entitled, you are entitled, everyone is entitled to something known as a spousal benefit. And I don't know, uh, Ron, if we have time to explain what spousal benefits are. But everybody should be aware that at full retirement age, so at 66 for the vast majority of us, we are able to receive, whether, we, whether it's the highest or the lowest of the benefits, we are eligible to receive 50% of our spouse's full retirement age benefit. So just to give a quick example, uh, let's say my full retirement age benefit is 2000 My wife's full retirement age benefit is 500 If my wife applies for Social Security at her full retirement age, which is 66, she is entitled to not just her $500 benefit, but she's eligible to receive 50% of my PIA or age 66 benefit of 2000 or 50%, which is 1000 and that is a really important piece for, for our listeners to be aware of. Are you still there, Ron? I'm not sure if Ron dropped off or if I'm still live with everybody else, but I'm just going to go ahead and continue. Uh, with understanding spousal benefits, there are a couple of uh, strategies that exist today that can be uh, quite useful when it comes to maximization strategies. The first and most popular of those is something called filing and suspending our application. And so how filing and suspending works is the higher earning spouse at full retirement applies for their own benefit. So walks into Social Security and says, I'd like to apply uh, for my own benefit. And again, I'm at 66 at this point. But instead of claiming my benefit, I immediately suspend that benefit. By suspending my benefit, I entitle my spouse to their spousal benefit. And so, for example, why this might work for, for some of our listeners out there is because what if I plan on working until the age of 70 or I just don't want to claim my benefit until the age of 70. But my spouse, who has a lower benefit than me, than 50% of my PIA, by filing and then immediately suspending, it entitles her to 50% of my benefit. And so that is a strategy that uh, we use quite often. A quick example, uh, if, if I have a, uh, a couple of retirees, both age 66, I really used it uh, already to, uh, at the earlier example. One PIA, or the primary insurance amount of Bob here is 2000 and, and his spouse Barbara has a PIA, or full retirement age, benefit of 800 At 66 instead of Barbara receiving 800 if Bob files and suspends his application, she is entitled to $1,000 per month. Another 
claiming strategy that uh, is a little lesser known but potentially even more effective is something known as claim now, claim more later. And so we really like talking to people about this benefit because it is kind of nifty. Um, it, it is an opportunity uh, to maybe really maximize our overall retirement income from Social Security. And so how Claim Now, Claim More Later works is at full retirement age, instead of the higher earning spouse applying for their own benefits or filing their application, what they do is they restrict their application meaning we walk into Social Security and say, I don't want any of my own benefits. I would instead like to apply for my spousal benefit. And so this is something that is very unheard of or, or very against the grain as it, as it comes to uh, or, or what a lot of people are familiar with because normally Social Security, when you go to visit them, they're very interested in giving you your highest benefit, what you're eligible to receive today. But what we're going to be telling Social Security is simply, I don't want my own benefit. Uh, I am going to simply restrict my application to my spousal benefit. So, for example, uh, my spouse and I are both full retirement age of 66. I am go my wife is going to uh, apply for her benefit, which, of course, would be 1000 I am then going to immediately file... Uh, my restricted application for spousal benefits and begin collecting $500 per month or 50% of my spouse's uh, full benefit. The reason I'm going to do that is because I'm going to let my own benefit delay until the age of 70. So my $2,000 benefit at 66 will grow to $2,640 per month. And at the age of 70, I will then switch back to my own benefit. This switching, this opportunity to claim now and claim more later does not affect my benefits, nor does it affect my spouse's benefits. And so we really do like uh, helping people understand, you know, whether or not we're interested in uh, shifting some of our longevity risk to Social Security by having one spouse claim a, a, the highest possible benefit but also satisfy that need for income immediately by having maybe the lower earning spouse claim as early as 62 uh, or you know, waiting until 66, etc. The key takeaway for both of these strategies are that if I try to do this prior to my full retirement age, meaning restricting my application or filing and suspending, uh, if I try this before full retirement age, you are not allowed to do that. Uh, and so Social Security will just simply tell you uh, you are not eligible to, to do any of these cool uh, claiming strategies. You know, a couple of other things that I know Ron wanted me to talk about today um, were understanding how Social Security benefits are taxed because really we live in a, in a place today where uh, the taxation of those benefits can truly eat away at what it is we get to keep. And so I, I do like to give a brief history of, of the Social Security system and, and how it is taxed or how our benefits are taxed. So back in, uh, back in the 1930s and, and even in the 40s, 
Um, I could I could layer in as much income on my tax return. I could take as much money from a pension or, of course, IRAs weren't in existence back then, but I could have as much earned income as possible uh, on my tax return, and I would pay absolutely zero taxes on my Social Security benefit. But, of course, over time what has happened uh, as we ex- are experiencing uh, greater and greater shortfalls or as we look to generate more revenue, uh, what has happened is the benefits have become taxable based on the amount of income that we have on our tax return. And so the name of this income is something called provisional income. And what provisional income is, is it's simply our adjusted gross income plus one-half of our Social Security benefits plus our tax-exempt income. And what that means today is if I have a provisional income uh, and I'm filing a married joint tax return, if I have provisional income greater than 44000 so that's 50% of my Social Security plus maybe muni bond interest plus maybe a pension or IRA withdrawal, if it's in excess of 44000 up to 85% of my Social Security benefits are taxable. And so when you look at how that affects us, um, it can be a great surprise to many retirees to find that their IRA withdrawals are causing them to pay a significant amount of taxes because not only are they paying taxes on that dollar of IRA withdrawal, they are also causing an additional 85 cents of their Social Security benefit to become taxable. So one of, the, one of the maximization strategies that we really like to help people understand is uh, how does, what is your provisional income going to look like in retirement, and how can we start to make some decisions either if we're pre-retired or already in retirement to potentially reduce the impact of how we pay those taxes over our lifetime. And Brian, Another I, just thought, I just want to make sure you hear my voice okay now, because I know yes, I had yes. dropped off and my line was muted for a while. No, I just kept on going, so I. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, I, I could hear you. I could hear you the whole time. <laughs> well, I had about a half a minute, so no, I knew that, and I so I didn't really interrupt. I just thought it'd make sure that you 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 know that I'm I'm still here. We are going to extend the show a little bit because of these these technical problems, uh, but let's yeah definitely. Keep, but you know so what what you're touching on, and I'm going to give you a chance to to take a breather there, is I'm assuming it's these types of decisions that is the main reason people first of all attend your seminars as as I did, uh, but also meet with you to then go through some of those strategies but some of this stuff uh you know taking my spouse's taking my own um you know deferring uh but also the uh, whole idea on this taxation which i was really shocked how few people knew about that in the audience by the way of, of how much was being taxed but nonetheless these are the kinds of things you can help put together i assume yes uh ron this is really the 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 basis of our practice you know uh, a lot of a lot of people approaching retirement just think it's simply, um, you know, I've saved up X amount of dollars and my wife and I's benefits at 62 are, you know, $1,800 a piece. So let's turn that on. Let's pull some money out of our IRA and let's sail off into the sunset. But what, right. what a lot of people fail to realize is that potentially that decision, you know, maybe we're paying a greater percentage of our, of our IRA withdrawal in taxes or maybe uh, we're putting our other spouse at great risk because uh, if one of us predeceases the other wildly uh, or too quickly, um, they're going, 50% of their guaranteed inflation-adjusted income is going to be uh, gone. 
And so mm-hmm. thinking through a lot of these things uh, prior to making the decision, uh, we find, you know, th- people are, 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 this is the value that, that you know, we provide to our, our clients. Okay, now, because are there other ways people, uh, some people, you know, go to the Social Security office or others living outside of the country. How else can they get some of this information other than your show, other than, you know, this show and some of those seminars? You know, a lot of the information is found, shockingly, on the Social Security website. So, for okay. example, if you were to uh, search the Social Security uh, website for uh, filing restricted applications or filing and suspending your benefits, uh, one can easily find that information on the website. It is a pretty handy website. Okay, but you have to know what they look for. That's unfortunately true, yes. Yes. <laughs> However, you, you will find that the Internet is riddled with all kinds of uh, articles and things like that, but I do want to ask uh, the listeners to, to uh, tread with caution because many of the right. publications out there have all of the rules unfortunately mixed up or they are off by just a couple of you know, key words or uh, phrases that uh, can actually be quite costly uh, in terms of uh, making a mistake. And the, the article could have been written in 2010, which might have old data as well. Absolutely, uh, but but we find uh, one of the one of the ways I stay stay educated is I'm part of a, a network of advisors that uh, you know talks about Social Security planning, and we constantly are are, are putting together articles that have misinformation in there, so that we could uh, make sure that our clients are aware of what is the proper information and mm-hmm. versus the, what you know what's being what's false out there. But really, all the data, all the actuals. All of the strategies uh, are spelled out on the Social Security website. It's just our job or our, our, the, the listener's job to figure out which of those strategies is the most beneficial to their individual uh, situation. Okay. One of the things you touched on earlier, you mentioned you know, how much is being paid out over the years. The fact that I paid in uh, doesn't mean that I'm still not getting some entitlement if indeed I'm living long enough time to start taking money. So I think the assumption that I've paid all this money in, I just, you know, I'm getting it back. Why is it taxed? Why is it uh, uh, you know, viewed as an entitlement? All of that, I think a lot of people don't realize the amount they pay in may dwarf the amount that they actually collect. Uh, so you touched on it, but you didn't mention that point explicitly, and I think that's an important one. Yeah, it's 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 important for people to, uh, you know, whether what you know, my whole philosophy on this is whether you feel like you have overpaid or underpaid, um, you know, at this stage of the game, if we're a baby boomer, there isn't a whole lot we can do about it, except mm-hmm. for maximize the total benefits received. If, if, if I'm a, a baby boomer and I feel like I have, uh, you know, I'm not going to necessarily get the value from Social Security that I deserve or that uh, I'm not being fairly compensated for all of the withholding that I've uh, paid in throughout my, my life, uh, the, the, one, the one way we can really help you or one way you can help yourself is to maximize the amount received and minimize the amount of taxes you pay moving forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And, and, and I think again, you, you've touched on uh, some of these things, but the the fact that you're, uh, you know, it is going to add to your taxable income. And taking, uh, for example, your IRA with, uh, withdrawals while you're retired will hurt you more than if you were able to take them in years where you had a lower tax rate. And, uh, I know you touched on that a little bit in the seminar, but you know, those are examples of things people don't think of. They say, well, I don't want to pay taxes on my IRA at age 60, uh, you know, because I might as well just wait till I'm retired. I'll earn. Less, but they don't understand that cumulative effect of not their just just their tax rate during retirement, but also Social Security adding to it. Absolutely, yep. It's it really you know for us, and I think what what hopefully a lot of the listeners are are starting to hear as the theme of this call is that you know what was once perceived as something that wasn't going to be there, that I'm just simply mm-hmm. going to if it's there I'm going to grab it. Now that we're at the doorstep of maybe making this decision, you know, it, it, it becomes an important piece to their overall financial plan as to how, in the, how do I best weave this, this income in with all of the other wonderful things that we've done to prepare for our retirements. Okay. And but really, let me go back and emphasize one more point you mentioned which I can do to maximize that benefit because, you, you know, again, in, in, in you're taking it one of those things, but is indeed making sure you're in touch with your congressmen, your senators to say, uh, you know, I don't want this trust fund to get depleted and me to drop down to 77% once I've started doing all of the right stuff. Uh, you know, adopt some of these strategies out there. And if you don't know, then uh, come and listen to uh, Brian Ginter's seminars and figure out what those ideas are. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, you know, one, one thing I just was uh, doing the math here just real quick behind the scenes was, sure. okay. you know, in 2014, if I'm a max wage earner, so I'm paying, mm-hmm. I'm currently paying 6.2% of my income uh, of that 117000 towards uh, right. Social Security benefits, mm-hmm. which is $7,254. And if I, if I just multiplied that by 35 years, which, of course, um, you know, if I Overstates were... Wildly overstates it, and I realize this is only our contribution portion. It's not counting the employer, our employer's contribution. But but I would have been around two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of total be- uh, of, of total paid total taxes of two hundred fifty three thousand. And as I mentioned, if I if I just received two thousand a month and I live thirty years into the future, that's one point one million of benefits. And so right. we're we're not necessarily in the business of or wanting to debate whether or not that's a good deal or a bad deal. But, Ron, it, 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 this is, these are the laws. This is how, you know, the benefits are the benefits. And, and right. so it's truly up to the individual to, to really consciously take the time to figure out what in the world is the best strategy, not only for myself but for my spouse, um, to, to ensure that I'm minimizing the risk of outliving my assets or minimizing the risk of paying a lot of, of my income, my hard-earned income in taxes, um, because, because, again, that's what financial planning really is, or that's what Social Security planning is. It isn't whether or not to take it at 62 or 70. It's all those other ancillary benefits uh, that, that really aren't necessarily uh, visible on the surface. Okay. And let's hit one more misperception on Social Security. Uh, I think a lot of people, and I think it's, well, it's clearly the people that wouldn't be listening to the show today, uh, is they think that Social Security is supposed to help them maintain their, their current lifestyle through retirement. 
but it really was set up, as I understand, to be more of a supplement to your other income, portfolio income, uh, that you'd be managing on your own. It's kind of a safety net if that doesn't invest as well or doesn't work as well as you expect it. Uh, am I correct on that uh, uh, misperception? Absolutely. Um, you know, back in the olden days, as I like to call them, you know, we, we used mm-hmm. to talk about the, three, the three-legged stool, Social Security, pension, okay. savings. And for many of our, our listeners and our current clients, you know, they only have uh, two of those three legs. And so without pensions today, for the vast majority of our clients, um, maximizing this benefit to be uh, not necessarily a replacement, but to, to really maybe shift uh, some of the, the, that longevity risk or investment risk or interest rate risk, et cetera, that we're experiencing today to every tax-paying American worker in the country, uh, we find to be a pretty uh, reasonable trade-off today uh, as opposed to accepting all of those risks by claiming that benefit uh, maybe too early. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's remind our listeners the best way to reach you to get more information about upcoming seminars, the services, uh, and maybe even, uh, I don't know if you've done some by webinar, but those people that are out, you know, obviously at other parts of the country, other parts of the world, uh, would be able to take advantage of some of this. Uh, and the best way was by email, correct? That is correct. Uh, best contact method is via email, and that is at drg at thrivent.com, drg at thrivent.com. Uh, we can also be reached by phone if you're uh, local or if you want to give us a call. The number is 623-234-9212. Excellent. Okay. Although I think most people, especially with different time zones, sometimes uh, email is the best option. Also, that way uh, catches somebody uh, you know while they have a chance to think rather than on the spot. But nonetheless, great, great uh, to know that. Now we've covered a lot of ground. What are some of the points that we missed? And obviously some, through, so some of the technical problems didn't help, uh, and you did a great job in, in continuing to go on, which I think most other uh, guests would, would panic. But uh, are there some other points you'd like to either reemphasize or to uh, add that we didn't really cover that are important? You know, there's, there's just a couple of, of little things that I didn't discuss. Um, okay. One of my favorite misconceptions out there is if, if let's say you are listening and you've already applied for Social Security, um, mm-hmm. understand there are some other things that can be done. Um, one thing is known as the earnings test. So if, if you're 62 or 3 and you've already applied for Social Security, you are subject mm-hmm. to something known as the annual earnings test. And, okay. Ron, what that means is if I go back to work and I make over – uh, last year, $14,640. I believe to this year it's up to $15,600, uh, right in that neighborhood. For every $2 that I earn over that amount, I have to pay back $1 of my Social Security benefits. But the reason I bring it up is because a lot of retirees think that um, if I go and do that and I pay that dollar back in benefits, mm-hmm. that somehow I am, uh, th- you know, that I'm, I'm missing out on, on some of my Social Security benefits. A key takeaway mm-hmm. is that at your full retirement age, your Social Security benefit will be adjusted for those, uh, for those dollars that you have paid back. So you do, okay, you so do it's kind of like paying additional to Social Security, my, my, my fund, if you will. That's right. Yep. It, 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 so, so we let people know that if you have already claimed, do not let the annual earnings test discourage you from working. Uh, if, A, you love work, 
uh, or B, you need the income. Uh, don't mm-hmm. don't let that discourage you at all. However, okay. you know the best strategy, of course, if you want to avoid something like the earnings test, is to simply wait uh, until you are certain uh, that you're going to stay retired before you apply for Social Security. Okay, and again, that would be a great time to take some of your IRA uh, withdrawals. Uh, and, and uh, you know, yes, you're going to pay a little bit of tax, but it's going to be almost n- minimal at that point versus uh, subjecting yourself to, uh, you know, and, and you, like you said, you continue to grow in the uh, Social Security in the meantime. Well, the, the taxation of benefits, Ron, is probably the most um, misunderstood yet the most important decision that clients can make for themselves as it pertains mm-hmm. to overall benefits. Um, just... Recently, I met with a, with a client who, who had the ability, he's uh, 63 years old, currently single, and was thinking about the differences between claiming now or claiming later. And, mm-hmm. and he's a typical retiree where he has he, the vast majority of his savings is, is through a qualified plan. So, um, you know, all of his withdrawals will be taxed as ordinary income. And we did an analysis to just show the differences between the total taxes paid uh, over the same period of time. Mm -hmm. And for for our client who who ended up delaying or choosing to delay his benefits, uh, over a 24-year period, the difference uh, between uh, claiming now and claiming later was uh, $190,000 of income tax versus... $335,000 $335,000 of income tax. Whoa. Uh, almost uh, not quite, but almost double. Almost double. And the reason why that is is because people don't understand, uh, for the most part, how provisional income, the calculation of provisional income, impacts how they pay tax. And, and so for, for this client, it was much more advantageous for him to take out those qualified dollars without any other income on his tax return, right? Because in those first seven Mm -hmm. years of delaying his benefit, he has no other income. And therefore, he was able to take those qualified dollars out in a much lower tax bracket than if he were to claim that benefit early. And so so we look at that and we say, well, if if in scenario A, for over the same exact time period, using the same exact assumptions – the difference between $335,000 of taxes and $190,000 of taxes is money that you have to take out of your own portfolio and just simply mm-hmm. send it to, uh, you know, to, to simply just pay taxes. Net incomes are identical. And so just right. alone, this decision could be saving people, or if you really understand how this works, uh, a tremendous amount of dollars uh, in taxes. And that's really what I like to do most. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I, I kind of believe in a philosophy that, you know, we, we have worked so hard throughout our entire lives uh, to earn this income, and we are called to be good stewards of those dollars. And, and I just feel like the vast majority of our clients are better stewards with those assets, uh, with, that, with that difference uh, in taxes, uh, than maybe sending them off uh, to someone else to make those decisions. Exactly. You mentioned you wanted you had one more point you wanted to mention. Um, you know, I, I really at this point, Ron, I've got so excited about helping people understand the difference in taxes <laughs> and, um, that it has it, it has left me. But um, that's fine. You know, maybe maybe we'll we'll 
we will end on the following. Okay. The, the biggest question a lot of people say is, well, Brian, if I don't, if what, what, what's, what's the break-even point? Because obviously if I'm not collecting Social Security for these, uh, these six or eight or, or whatever years of, of delaying, mm-hmm. I'm missing out. What is the, the break-even uh, of me delaying? And because the differences of claiming early, which is 75% of my benefit, versus waiting until full or maximum age is 132% of that right. PIA, the break-even point is actually only the age of 78 and okay. so when I say that to people, uh, if you and your spouse have a, a life expectancy that is, uh, that is less than 78 years, then claiming early generally is the best scenario. But if mm-hmm. you think that there is a, a possibility that one of the two of you might live past that age, delaying one of the Social Security benefits is going to prove to be a better solution. And again, this is, this is, that is a generalization to some degree, and, and I really dislike generalizations. But, but I really, you know, for the listeners out there, um, doing a Social Security analysis, understanding the impact of taxes, how, how are you going to be withdrawing assets from a qualified plan, or which survivor option do I claim on my pension if I'm lucky enough to have one, all right. of those things, Ron, are input to the decision-making of, of, of how to claim this benefit. And so we really, we, we really appreciate the opportunity that you've given us today to, to maybe open a few eyes or get some people out there thinking about this because it truly is an exciting, uh, you know, a lot of my friends think I'm uh, kind of no fun at parties because this is what excites me to talk about. But <laughs> Uh, it, it really is. I, I really think this is a, a wildly exciting topic, and, and with the with the current environment in which we're living today, um, it, making the right social security decision uh, goes a long way to ensuring, uh, you know, financial success. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So now, despite all our technical problems, uh, both at the very beginning and then uh, my my uh, voice going on mute or my uh, my line going on, I'm hoping you would join us again in the future. Especially if we maybe took a few uh, typical scenarios or or our listeners' scenarios, uh, and then walked through some of those strategies to give an uh, you know to, to give listeners even a better feel for. Uh, how much thought needs to go into that decision making and uh, you mentioned one just now that I had, had not thought of which is if I were buying an annuity then whether I should put a spousal benefit or not or, uh, it will depend on which of these you know methods I'm going with Social Security so they are intertwined in in many many ways and those decisions are all made uh, you know somewhere when I'm in my 60s absolutely Absolutely. All right, so hopefully we didn't scare you away with all the technical problems. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brian. It's my pleasure, Ron, and uh, thank you for having us. We really uh, enjoy this topic, and we'd be more than happy to, uh, to, to discuss any of these things uh, in the future as well. Excellent. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. All right, let me do, just do a brief summary here. We've covered many aspects of uh, your, your Social Security. I guess the most important thing you'll, you'll notice when I mentioned in my posting, Brian is a great educator. He takes a very complex topic and makes it sound simple. Uh, and I want to emphasize just a few key points that Social Security trust fund depletion can be avoided and delayed um, 
that uh, if if our lawmakers just listened to this show and reviewed some of the alternatives Brian covered, and there are many, many more others that uh, just a lot of them just aren't dealing with. So, yes, there are some trade-offs, as he mentioned. It may be that some of the uh, current future res- uh, recipients would object to some aspect for it, from it, uh, excuse me, of it. But at the same time, I think all of us would agree that making those uh, trade-offs would be better than having our own benefits, those of our children and our grandchildren, curtailed or eliminated. Now, there are a number of changes made over the years uh, to the full retirement age, as well as to the actual benefits. Some of them put the trust fund in jeopardy, jeopardy by just you know adding things uh, that Social Security was not designed for. On the other hand, extensions and slightly increasing the taxes has had a huge impact on delaying that uh, depletion. So I think there is, uh, you know, there is hope out there. Don't give up on Social Security at this point. Uh, I know after hearing this uh, information, I uh, was much more optimistic that it really would exist. Uh, That didn't mean I wouldn't plan for uh, living without it, but at the same time, that wasn't necessary. But very clearly, the uh, retirement age that was in place in the 30s, uh, was in the 60s, and we are still using early and uh, full retirement ages very close to that as lifespans continue to lengthen. Uh, very you know, logical is to take a look at the age that people get full Social Security. Now, several countries have implemented private uh, or partial privatization in their national pension plans uh, by having you know, each of the recipients choose how they would want to invest that portion. Unfortunately, and some of them even this just this past year, some of those privatization efforts were reversed and nationalized when those governments realized they didn't have enough funds under their control to meet their uh, obligations to their uh, citizens. So uh, the example I like to pick, in, in even though it's not a privatization of the Social Security, is we have four 401ks and IRAs in the U.S. that are great examples of initiatives that puts that investment decision in our own hands. I believe if people turned off their TVs and listened to shows like Wealth DNA, read more articles and books on personal finance, or attended seminars like the ones Brian Ginter does, they'd be better equipped to manage their financial future. Now, let me add that each of us plays a role in helping others by suggesting to our families and friends to become regular listeners, and email and social media have it made it so much easier. Why don't you forward a link to this show? Here on the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals in investing, thus topics important to you as investors uh, today, 5, 10, 20 years from now. Today's show is a great example. Since your decision on how to accumulate and how long to accumulate and when to take your uh, benefits will affect your future and your spouse's future for the next 5, 10, 20, or maybe even 50 years. I sure hope so. Regular listeners to the Wealth, Wealth DNA Radio Show know that our objective here is to help a million people build, become millionaires. Now, that means our listeners will be far less dependent on Social Security and have that latitude to maximize the benefits by delaying. Go for the 132% by waiting until you're 70. And one of the best ways to increase your wealth, tune into the show twice a month. We share the investment fundamentals, great ideas, and help diversify and grow your portfolio. Many thanks to BI Solutions Corp. for sponsoring today's show. And they are a residential real estate fund based in the Phoenix and Scottsdale area. Uh, It is not their fault that we had technical problems. Things happen. 
Next Wealth DNA radio show will be the second Monday of February. That is Monday, March 10th, 9 a.m. Arizona time, same place, same time. As I mentioned, on that show, we'll have Russ Wiles join us to celebrate the fifth anniversary of the equity bull market, which seems to be raging today and hitting new records, and share some insights on who's benefited the most and whether history provided some guidance for what's coming during the next five years. As usual, we provide the lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us, and there you'll find the archive of past shows. If you have some comments, suggestions, additional questions, you missed the email address to contact Brian or the phone number, give me uh, an email or send me an email at Ron at WealthDNA.us. Ron at WealthDNA.us. I'll also keep you posted about future shows and events. Finally, happy investing and making the right decisions related to Social Security. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.